Chapter 5 of Dread, A Tale of the Great Dismal Swamp by Harriet Beecher Stowe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by William Jones, Benita Springs, Florida. Dread. Chapter 5. Harry and His Wife. Several miles from the Gordon Estate, on an old and somewhat decayed plantation, stood a neat log cabin whose external aspect showed both taste and care. It was almost enveloped in luxuriant wreaths of yellow jasmine, and garlanded with a magnificent Lamarck rose, whose cream-colored buds and flowers contrasted beautifully with the dark, polished green of the finely cut leaves. The house stood in an enclosure formed by a high hedge of the American holly, whose evergreen foliage and scarlet berries made it, at all times of the year, a beautiful object. Within the enclosure was a garden, carefully tended and devoted to the finest fruits and flowers. This little dwelling, so different in its air of fanciful neatness from ordinary southern cabins, was the abode of Harry's little wife, Lisette which was her name, was the slave of a French Creole woman to whom a plantation had recently fallen by inheritance. She was a delicate, airy little creature, formed by a mixture of the African and French blood, producing one of those fanciful, exotic combinations that give one the same impression of brilliancy and richness that one receives from tropical insects and flowers. From both parent races she was endowed with a sensuous being exquisitely quick and fine, a nature of everlasting childhood, with all its freshness of present life, all its thoughtless, unreasoning fearlessness of the future. She stands there at her ironing-table, just outside her cottage door, singing gaily at her work. Her round, plump, childish form is shown to advantage by the trim blue basque laced in front over a chemisette of white linen. Her head is wreathed with a gay turban, from which escapes now and then a wandering curl of her silky black hair. Her eyes, as she raises them, have the hazy, dreamy languor which is so characteristic of the mixed races. Her little, childish hands are busy, with nimble fingers adroitly plaiting and arranging various articles of feminine toilet, too delicate and expensive to have belonged to those in humble circumstances, she ironed, plaited, and sang with busy care. Occasionally, however, she would suspend her work, and running between the flower borders of the hedge, look wistfully along the road, shading her eyes with her hand. At last, as she saw a man on horseback approaching, she flew lightly out and ran to meet him. "'Harry, Harry, you've come at last. I'm so glad.' "'And what have you got in that paper? "'Is it anything for me?' "'He held it up, shook it at her, while she leaped after it. "'No, no, little curiosity,' he said gaily. "'I know it's something for me,' said she, with a pretty half-pouting air. "'And why do you know it's for you? "'Is everything to be for you in the world, you little good-for-nothing?' "'Good-for-nothing?' with a toss of the gaily turbaned little head. You may well say that, sir. Just look at the two dozen shirts I've ironed since morning. Come now, take me up. I want a ride. 
Harry put out the toe of his boot and his hand, and with an adroit spring she was in a moment before him, on his horse's neck, and with a quick turn snatched the paper parcel from his hand. "'Woman's curiosity,' said he. "'Well, I want to see what it is. Dear me, what a tight string! Oh, I can't break it! Well, here goes. I'll tear a hole in it anyhow. Oh, silk as I live! Aha! Tell me now this isn't for me, you bad thing, you! Why, how do you know it isn't to make me a summer coat? Summer coat? Likely story! Aha! I found you out, mister! But come, do make the horse canter. I want to go fast. Make him canter, do! Harry gave a sudden jerk to the reins, and in a minute the two were flying off as if on the wings of the wind. On and on they went through a small coppice of pines, while the light-hearted laugh rang on the breeze behind them. Now they were lost from view. In a few minutes, emerging from the pine woods in another direction, they came sweeping, gay and laughing, up to the gate. To fasten the horse, to snatch the little wife on his shoulder, and run to the cottage with her, seemed the work of only a moment. And as he set her down, still laughing, he exclaimed, "'There, go, now, for a pretty little picture as you are. I have helped them get up les tableaux vivants at their great houses, but you are my tableau. You aren't good for much. You're nothing but a hummingbird made to live on honey.' "'That's what I am,' said the little one. "'It takes a great deal of honey to keep me. "'I want to be praised, flattered, and loved all the time. "'It isn't enough to have you love me. "'I want to hear you tell me so every day and hour and minute, "'and I want you always to admire me and praise everything that I do. "'Now—' "'Particularly when you tear holes in packages,' said Harry. "'Oh, my silk! My new silk dress!' said Lisette, thus reminded of the package which she held in her hand. This hateful string! How it cuts my fingers! I will break it! I'll bite it in two! Harry, Harry, don't you see how it hurts my fingers? Why don't you cut it? And the little sprite danced about the cottage floor, tearing the paper and tugging at the string like an enraged hummingbird. Harry came laughing behind her, and taking hold of her two hands, held them quite still, while he cut the string of the parcel, and unfolded a gorgeous plaid silk, crimson, green, and orange. There, now. What do you think of that? Miss Nina brought it when she came home last week. Oh, how lovely! Isn't she a beauty? Isn't she good? How beautiful it is! Dear me! Dear me, how happy I am, how happy we are, ain't we, Harry? A shadow came over Harry's forehead as he answered with a half-sigh. Yes. I was up at three o'clock this morning on purpose to get all my ironing done today, because I thought you were to come home tonight. Ah, ah, you don't know what a supper I've got ready. You'll see by and by. I'm going to do something uncommon. You mustn't look in that other room, Harry. You mustn't. Mustn't I? said Harry, getting up and going to the door. There now, whose curiosity now, I wonder, said she, springing nimbly between him and the door. No, you shan't go in, though. 
There now, don't, don't. Be good now, Harry. Well, I may as well give up first as last. This is your house, not mine, I suppose, said Harry. Mr. Submission, how meek we are all of a sudden. Well, while the fit lasts, you go to the spring and get me some water to fill this tea kettle. Off with you now, this minute. Mind you, don't stop the play, by the way. And while Harry is going to the spring, we will follow the wife into the forbidden room. Very cool and pleasant it is, with its white window curtains, its matted floor, and displaying in the corner that draped feather bed with its ruffled pillows and fringed curtains, which is the great ambition of the southern cabin to attain and maintain. The door, which opened onto a show of most brilliant flowers, was overlaid completely by the Lamarck rose we have before referred to, and large clusters of its creamy blossoms and wreaths of its dark green leaves had been enticed in and tied to sundry nails and pegs by the small hands of the little mistress to form an arch of flowers and roses. A little table stood in the door, draped with a spotless damask tablecloth, fine enough for the use of a princess, and only produced by the little mistress on festive occasions. On it were arranged dishes, curiously trimmed with moss and vine leaves, which displayed strawberries and peaches, with a pitcher of cream, and one of whey, small dishes of curd, delicate cakes and biscuit, and fresh golden butter. After patting and arranging the tablecloth, Lisette tripped gaily around and altered here and there the arrangement of a dish, occasionally stepping back, and cocking her little head on one side, much like a bird, singing gaily as she did so. Then she would pick a bit of moss from this, and a flower from that, and retreat again and watch the effect. "'How surprised he will be!' she said to herself, still humming a tune in a low, gurgling undertone. She danced hither and thither round the apartment. First she gave the curtains a little shake, and unlooping one of them, looped it up again, so as to throw the beams of the evening sun on the table.' there 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 how pretty the light falls through those nasturtiums i wonder if the room smells of the mignonette i gathered it when the dew was on it and they say it will make it smell all day now here's harry's bookcase dear me those flies how they do get on to everything shoo shoo now now and catching a gay bandana handkerchief from the drawer she perfectly exhausted herself in flying about the room in pursuit of the buzzing intruders who soared and dived and careered after the manner of flies in general, seeming determined to go anywhere but out of the door, and finally were seen brushing their wings and licking their feet with great alertness on the very topmost height of the sacred bed-curtains, and as just this moment a glimpse was caught of Harry returning from the spring, Lisette was obliged to abandon the chase, and rush into the other room to prevent a premature development of her little tea-tableau. Then a small, pug-nosed, black tea-kettle came on to the stage of action from some unknown cupboard, and Harry had to fill it with water, and, of course, spilt the water onto the ironing-table, which made another little breezy, chattering commotion, and then the flat irons were cleared away, and the pug-nosed kettle reigned in their stead, on the charcoal brazier. Now, Harry, was ever such a smart wife as I am? Only think, 
Besides all the rest that I've done, I've ironed your white linen suit complete. Now go put it on. Not in there, not in there, she said, pushing him away from the door. You can't go there yet. You'll do well enough out here. And away she went, seen through the garden walks, and the song, floating back behind her, seemed like an odor brushed from the flowers. The refrain came rippling in at the door. Me think not what to-morrow bring, me happy, so me sing. Poor little thing, said Harry to himself, why should I try to teach her anything? In a few minutes she was back again, her white apron thrown over her arm, and blossoms of yellow jasmine, spikes of blue lavender, and buds of moss roses peeping out from it. She skipped gaily along and deposited her treasures on the ironing table. Then, with a zealous, bustling earnestness, which characterized everything she did, she began sorting them into two bouquets, alternately talking and singing as she did so. Come on, ye rosy hours, all joy and gladness bring. You see, Harry, you're going to have a bouquet to put in the buttonhole of that coat. It will make you look so handsome. There now, there now. We'll strew the way with flowers, and merrily, merrily sing. Suddenly stopping, she looked at him archly and said, You can't tell now what I'm doing all this for. There is never any telling what you women do anything for. To hear him talk so pompous. Well, sir, it's for your birthday now. Aha! You thought because I can't keep the day of the month that I don't know anything about it? But I did, and I have put down now a chalk mark every day for four weeks, right under where I keep my ironing account, so as to be sure of it. And I've been busy about it ever since two o'clock this morning. And now, there, the tea kettle is boiling. And away she flew to the door. Oh, dear me, dear me now, I've killed myself now I have, she cried, holding up one of her hands and flirting it up in the air. Dear me, who knew it was so hot? I should think a little woman that is so used to the holder might have known it, said Harry, as he caressed the little burnt hand. Come now, let me carry it for you, said Harry, and I'll make the tea, if you'll let me go into that mysterious room. Indeed, no, Harry, I'm going to do everything myself. And forgetting the burnt finger, Lizette was off in a moment, and back in a moment, with a shining teapot in her hand, and the tea was made. And at last the mysterious door opened, and Lizette stood with her eyes fixed upon Harry to watch the effect. Ah! <gasps> Superb! Magnificent! Splendid! Why, this is good enough for a king! And where did you get all these things? said Harry. Oh, out of our garden, all but the peaches. Those old mist gave me, they come from Florida. There now, you laughed at me last summer when I set those strawberry vines and made all sorts of fun of me. And what do you think now? Think? I think you're a wonderful little thing, a perfect witch. Come now, let's sit down then. You there, and I here. And opening the door of the bird cage, which hung in the Lamarck rose bush, little button shall come too. Button, a bright yellow canary with a smart black tuff upon his head, seemed to understand his part in the little domestic scene perfectly, 
for he stepped obediently upon the finger which was extended to him, and was soon sitting quite at his ease on the mossy edge of one of the dishes, pecking at the strawberries. "'And now do tell me,' said Lisette, "'all about Miss Nina. How does she look?' "'Pretty and smart as ever,' said Harry. "'Just the same witchy, willful ways with her. "'Did she show you her dresses?' "'Oh, yes, the wool. "'Oh, do tell me about them, Harry, do.' Well, there's a lovely pink gauze, covered with spangles to be worn over white satin. With flounces? said Lisette earnestly. With flounces? How many? Really, I don't remember. Don't remember how many flounces? Why, Harry, how stupid! Say, Harry, don't you suppose she will let me come and look at her things? Oh, yes, dear, I don't doubt she will, and that will save my making a gazette of myself. Oh, when will you take me there, Harry? Perhaps tomorrow, dear. And now, said Harry, that you have accomplished your surprise upon me, I have a surprise in return for you. You can't guess, now, what Miss Nina brought for me. No, indeed, what? said Lisette, springing up. Do tell me, quick. Patience. "'Patience,' said Harry, deliberately fumbling in his pocket, amusing himself with her excited air. But who should speak the astonishment and rapture which widened Lisette's dark eyes when the watch was produced? She clapped her hands and danced for joy to the imminent risk of upsetting the table and all the things on it. "'I do think we are the most fortunate people, you and I, Harry. Everything goes just as we want it to, doesn't it now?' Harry's assent to this comprehensive proposition was much less fervent than suited his little wife. "'Now, what's the matter with you? What goes wrong? Why don't you rejoice as I do?' said she, coming and seating herself down upon his knee. "'Come now, you've been working too hard, I know. I'm going to sing to you now. I want something to cheer you up.' And Lisette took down her banjo, and sat down in the doorway under the arch of Lamarck roses, and began thrumming gaily. "'This is the nicest little thing, this banjo,' she said. "'I wouldn't change it for all the guitars in the world. Now, Harry, I'm going to sing something specially for you.' And Lisette sung, "'What are the joys of white men here? What are his pleasures, say?' He great, he proud, he haughty fine, while I my banjo play. He sleep all day, he wake all night, he full of care, his heart no light. He great deal want, he little get, he sorry, so he fret. Me envy not the white man here, though he so proud and gay. He great, he proud, he haughty fine, while I my banjo play. Me work all day, me sleep all night. Me have no care, me heart is light. Me think not what to-morrow bring, me happy, so me sing. Lisette rattled the strings of the banjo, and sang with such a hearty abandonment of enjoyment that it was a comfort to look at her. One would have thought that a bird's soul put into a woman's body would have sung just so. There, she said, throwing down her banjo and seating herself on her husband's knee, do you know I think you are like white men in that song? I should like to know what is the matter with you. 
I can see plain enough when you are not happy, but I don't see why. Oh, Lizette, I have very perplexing business to manage, said Harry. Miss Nina is a dear, good little mistress, but she doesn't know anything about accounts or money. And here she has brought me home a set of bills to settle, and I'm sure I don't know where the money is to be got from. It's hard work to make the old place profitable in our days. The ground is pretty much worked up. It doesn't bear the crops it used to. And then our people are so childish. They don't, a soul of them, care how much they spend or how carelessly they work. It's very expensive keeping up such an establishment. You know the Gordons must be Gordons. Things can't be done now as some other families would do them. And then those bills which Miss Nina brings from New York are perfectly frightful. Well, Harry, what are you going to do? said Lizette, nestling down close on his shoulder. You always know how to do something. Why, Lizette, I shall have to do what I've done two or three times before. Take the money that I have saved to pay these bills. Our freedom money, Lizette. Oh, well then, don't worry. We can get it again, you know. Why, you know, Harry, you can make a good deal with your trade, and one thing and another that you do. And then as for me, why, you know, my ironing and my muslins, how celebrated they are. Come, don't worry one bit. We shall get on nicely. Ah, but Lisette, all this pretty house of ours, garden and everything, is only built on air, after all, till we are free. Any accident can take it from us. Now, there's Miss Nina. She is engaged, she tells me, to two or three lovers, as usual. Engaged, is she? said Lisette, eagerly, female curiosity getting the better of every other consideration. She always did have lovers, just, you know, as I used to. Yes, but, Lisette, she will marry some time, and what a thing that would be for you and me. On her husband will depend all my happiness for all my life. He may set her against me. He may not like me. Oh, Lisette, I've seen trouble enough coming of marriages, and I was hoping, you see, that before that time came, the money for my freedom would all be paid in, and I should be my own man. But now, here it is. Just as the sum is almost made up, I must pay out five hundred dollars of it, and that throws us back two or three years longer. And what makes me feel the most anxious is that I'm pretty sure Miss Nina will marry one of these lovers before long. Why, what makes you think so, Harry? Oh, I've seen girls before now, Lizette, and I know the signs. What does she do? What does she say? Tell me now, Harry. Oh, well, she runs on abusing the man after her sort, and she's so very earnest and positive in telling me she don't like him. Just the way I used to do about you, Harry, isn't it? Besides, said Harry, I know by the kind of character she gives of him that she thinks of him very differently from what she ever did of any man before. Miss Nina little knows, when she is rattling about her bow, what I am thinking of. I'm saying all the while to myself, is that man going to be my master? And this Clayton, I'm very sure, is going to be my master. Well, isn't he a good man? Well, she says he is. 
But there's never any saying what good men will do, never. Good men think it right sometimes to do the strangest things. This man may alter the whole agreement between us. He will have a right to do it. If he is her husband, he may refuse to let me buy myself, and then all the money that I've paid will go for nothing. But certainly, Harry, Miss Nina will never consent to such a thing. Lizette, Miss Nina is one thing, but Mrs. Clayton may be quite another. I've seen all that over and over again. I tell you, Lizette, that we who live on other people's looks and words, we watch and think a great deal. Ah, we come to be very sharp, I can tell you. The more Miss Nina has liked me, the less her husband may like me. Don't you know that? No, Harry. You don't dislike people I like. Child, child, that's quite another thing. Well then, Harry, if you feel so bad about it, what makes you pay this money for Miss Nina? She don't know anything about it. She don't ask you to. I don't believe she would want you to, if she did know it. Just go and pay it in, and have your freedom papers made out. Why don't you tell her all about it? No, I can't, Lizette. I've had the care of her all my life, and I've made it as smooth as I could for her, and I won't begin to trouble her now. Do you know, too, that I'm afraid that perhaps if she knew all about it, she wouldn't do the right thing? There's never any knowing, Lizette. Now, you see, I say to myself, poor little thing, she doesn't know anything about accounts, and she doesn't know how I feel. But if I should tell her, and she shouldn't care, and act as I've seen women act, why then, you know, I couldn't think so any more. I don't believe she would, mind you, but then I don't like to try. Harry? What does make you love her so much? Don't you know, Lisette, that Master Tom was a dreadful bad boy, always willful and wayward, almost broke his father's heart, and he was always ugly and contrary to her? I'm sure I don't know why, for she was a sweet little thing, and she loves him now, ugly as he is, and he is the most selfish creature I ever saw. And as for Miss Nina, she isn't selfish. She is only inconsiderate, but I have known her to do for him over and over just what I do for her, giving him her money and her jewels to help him out of a scrape. But then, to be sure, it all comes upon me at last, which makes it all the more aggravating. Now, Lisette, I'm going to tell you something, but you mustn't tell anybody. Nina Gordon is my sister. Harry! Yes, Lizette, you may well open your eyes, said Harry, rising involuntarily. I'm Colonel Gordon's oldest son. Let me have the comfort of saying it once, if I never do again. Harry, who told you? He told me, Lizette. He himself told me, when he was dying and charged me always to watch over her. And I have done it. I never told Miss Nina. I wouldn't have told her for the world. It wouldn't make her love me. More likely it would turn her against me. I've seen many a man sold for nothing else but for looking too much like his father or his brothers and sisters. I was given to her, and my sister and my mother went out to Mississippi with Miss Nina's aunt. 
I never heard you speak of this sister, Harry. Was she pretty? Lizette? She was beautiful. She was graceful, and she had real genius. I've heard many singers on the stage that could not sing with all their learning, as she did by nature. Well, what became of her? Oh, what becomes of such women always among us? Nursed and petted and caressed, taught everything elegant, nothing solid. Why, the woman meant well enough that had the care of her. Mrs. Stewart, Colonel Gordon's sister, but she couldn't prevent her son's wanting her and taking her for his mistress, and when she died, there she was. Well, when George Stewart had lived with her two or three years, he was taken with smallpox. You know what perfect horror that always creates. None of his white acquaintances and friends would come near his plantation. The Negroes were all frightened to death, as usual. Overseer ran off. Well, then Cora Gordon's blood came up. She nursed him all through that sickness. What's more, she had influence to keep order on the place, got the people to getting the cotton crops themselves, so that when the overseer came sneaking back, things hadn't all gone to ruin, as they might have done. Well, the young fellow had more in him than some of them do, for when he got well, he left his plantation, took her up to Ohio, and married her, and lived with her there. Why didn't he live with her on his plantation? said Lizette. He couldn't have freed her there. It's against the laws. But lately, I've got a letter from her saying that he had died and left to her and to her son all his property on the Mississippi. Why, she will be rich, won't she? Yes, if she gets it. But there's no knowing how that will be. There are fifty ways of cheating her out of it, I suppose. But now, as to Miss Nina's estate, you don't know how I feel about it. I was trusted with it, and trusted with her. She never has known more than a child where the money came from, or went to. And it shan't be said that I've brought the estate in debt for the sake of getting my own liberty. If I have one pride in life, it is to give it up to Miss Nida's husband in good order. But then, the trouble of it, Lisette, the trouble of getting anything like decent work from these creatures, the ways that I have to turn and twist to get round them and manage them to get anything done. They hate me. They are jealous of me. Lisette, I'm just like that bat in the fable. I'm neither bird nor beast. How often I've wished that I was a good, honest black nigger like Uncle Pomp. Then I should know what I was. But now I'm neither one thing nor another. I come just near enough to the condition of the white to look into it, to enjoy it, and want everything that I see. Then the way I've been educated makes it worse. The fact is that when the fathers of such as we feel any love for us, it isn't like the love they have for their white children. They are half ashamed of us. They are ashamed to show their love, if they have it. And then there's a kind of remorse and pity about it, which they make up to themselves by pettiness. They load us with presents and indulgences. They amuse themselves with us while we are children, and play off all our passions as if we were instruments to be played on. If we show talent and smartness, we hear someone say aside, 
It's rather a pity, isn't it? Or he is too smart for his place. Then we have all the family blood and the family pride. And what to do with it? I feel that I am a Gordon. I feel in my very heart that I'm like Colonel Gordon. I know I am. And sometimes I know I look like him, and that's one reason why Tom Gordon always hated me. And then there's another thing, the hardest of all, to have a sister like Miss Nina to feel she is my sister and never dare say a word of it. She little thinks when she plays and jokes with me sometimes how I feel. I have eyes and senses. I can compare myself with Tom Gordon. I know he never would learn anything at any of the schools he was put to, and I know that when his tutors used to teach me how much faster I got along than he did. And yet he must have all the position and all the respect. And then Miss Nina so often says to me, by way of apology, when she puts up with his ugliness, Ah, well, you know, Harry, he is the only brother I have got in the world. Isn't it too bad? Colonel Gordon gave me every advantage of education, because I think he meant me for just this place which I fill. Miss Nina was his pet. He was wholly absorbed in her, and he was frightened at Tom's wickedness. And so he left me bound to the estate in this way, only stipulating that I should buy myself on favorable terms before Miss Nina's marriage. She has always been willing enough. I might have taken any and every advantage of her inconsiderateness. And Mr. John Gordon has been willing, too, and has been very kind about it, and has signed an agreement as guardian, and Miss Nina has signed it, too, that in case of her death, or whatever happened, I'm to have my freedom on paying a certain sum, and I have got his receipts for what I have paid. So that's tolerably safe. Lizette, I admit never to have been married till I was a free man, but somehow you bewitched me into it. I did very wrong. Oh, pshaw, pshaw, he interrupted Lizette. I ain't going to hear another word of this talk. What's the use? We shall do well enough. Everything will come out right. You see if it don't now. I was always lucky, and I always shall be. The conversation was here interrupted by a loud whooping and a clatter of horses' heels. "'What's that?' said Harry, starting to the window. "'As I live now, if there isn't that wretch of a Tom Tit going off with that horse. How came he here? He will ruin him.' "'Stop there! Hello!' he exclaimed, running out of doors after Tom Tit. Tom Tit, however, gave only a triumphant whoop and disappeared amongst the pine trees. "'Well, I should like to know what sent him here,' said Harry, walking up and down, much disturbed. "'Oh, he's only going around through the grove. He will be back again,' said Lizette. "'Never fear. Isn't he a handsome little rogue?' "'Lizette, you never can see trouble anywhere,' said Harry, almost angrily. Ah, yes, I do, said Lizette. When you speak in that tone, please don't, Harry. What should you want me to see trouble for? I don't know, you little thing, said Harry, stroking her head fondly. Ah, here comes the little rascal, just as I knew he would, said Lizette. He only wanted to take a little race. He hasn't hurt the horse. And tripping lightly out, she caught the reins just as Tom Tit drove up to the gate and it seemed 
but a moment before he was over in the garden with his hands full of flowers. "'Stop there, you young rascal, and tell me what sent you here,' said Harry, seizing him and shaking him by the shoulder. "'Laws, Massa Harry, I wants to get peaches like other folks,' said the boy, peeping roguishly in at the window at the tea-table. "'And he shall have a peach, too,' said Lizette, "'and some flowers if he'll be a good boy and not tread on my borders.' Tom Tit seized greedily at the peach she gave him, and sitting flat down where he stood, and throwing the flowers on the ground beside him, began eating it with an earnestness of devotion, as if his whole being were concentrated in the act. The color was heightened in his brown cheek by the exercise, and with his long drooping curls and eyelashes he looked a very pretty center to the flower-piece which he had so promptly improvised. "'Ah, oh, how pretty he is!' said Lisette, touching Harry's elbow. "'I wish he was mine.' "'You'd have your hands full if he was,' said Harry, eyeing the intruder discontentedly, while Lisette stood picking the holes from a fine bunch of strawberries, which she was ready to give him when he had finished the peach. "'Beauty makes fools of all you girls,' said Harry cynically. "'Is that the reason I married you?' said Lisette archly. "'Well,' I know I could make him good if I had the care of him. Nothing like coaxing, is there, Tom? I'll bound there ain't, said Tom, opening his mouth for the strawberries, with much the air of a handsome saucy robin. Well, said Harry, I should like to know what brought him over here. Speak now, Tom. Weren't you sent with some message? Oh, laws, yes, said Tom, getting up and scratching his curly head. "'Miss Nina sent me. She wants you to get on that there horse and make tracks for home like Splitfoot. She done got letters from two or three of her bow, and she is dancing and tearing round there real awful. She done got scared, specs fear they'd all come together.' "'And she sent you on a message, and you haven't told me all this time,' said Harry, making a motion as though he were going to box the child's ears.' But the boy glided out of his hands as if he had been water, and was gone, vanishing among the shrubbery of the garden. And while Harry was mounting his horse, he reappeared on the roof of the little cabin, caracoling and dancing, shouting at the topmost of his voice, Away down old Virginie, there I bought a yellow girl for a guinea. I'll give it to you some time, said Harry, shaking his fist at him. No, he won't either, cried Lizette laughing. Come down here, Tom Tit, and I'll make a good boy of you. End of chapter 5 Harry and His Wife